0: Today's gospel lesson from Luke 4 is bracketed by two spiritual conflicts in the life of Jesus. The first is Jesus' redemption by the, excuse me, Jesus' temptation by the devil in the wilderness. The second is Jesus' rejection by his hometown of Nazareth. At his baptism by John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus as he came out of the water. Jesus was then driven by that same Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. In every temptation, Jesus' response was a quote from Scripture, the Word of God, the single most important weapon in spiritual warfare. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Word of God incarnate, turned to the Word of God written as his weapon of choice. After 40 days of fasting, when tempted by the devil to turn stones into bread, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. Matthew's gospel adds, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. When tempted by the devil to bow down to him, Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. In desperation, the devil himself quoted scripture. He took Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered once again, quoting Scripture, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus at His baptism. The Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Holy Spirit inspired his use of scripture, the word of God. The second bracket around our gospel lesson follows Jesus' teaching in the synagogue at Nazareth. He is rejected by his hometown. The very next verse after our gospel reading says, All spoke well of him and marveled at, his, at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. But the crowd is fickle and will soon turn on Jesus. We have seen how Jesus called upon the Word of God to defend against the devil's temptations. We now see in what follows today's gospel that the Word of God convicted and angered the people. Jesus told the people about how Elijah went to the widow in Zarephath and how Elisha healed Naaman the Syrian. You know the stories. Elijah was in conflict with the evil king Ahab, and he said to the king, As the Lord the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. It did not rain for three and a half years, and a great famine came upon the land. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. It's a familiar story. Elijah went to Zarephath and found the widow. He asked her to make him a cake, and she complained that she had nothing but a little flour and some oil and that she was going to bake some bread for herself and her son, eat it, and die. Elijah said, Do that, but first, but first. Make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. The widow complied. She obeyed the word of God and they all ate and were saved from salvation. The way Jesus told the story, Elijah might have gone to one of the widows in Israel, but he went to a widow in Zarephath, to a Gentile. The story of Naaman is one of my favorites. Naaman was the commander of the Syrian army. The scripture tells us he was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Naaman's wife had a Jewish slave girl who told Naaman's wife that there was a prophet in Samaria who could cure his leprosy. Naaman eventually found Elisha, who sent his servant out to tell Naaman, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. Naaman was angry and frustrated. He complained that Elijah himself had not come out to greet him and insisted that the rivers in Damascus were better than the Jordan. Yet he was persuaded that he should try it. What did he have to lose? He obeyed God's word and was healed, cleansed of his leprosy. Again, the way Jesus told the story, Elisha might have healed one of the lepers in Israel, but instead he healed a Gentile, a commander of the Syrian army, an enemy to Israel to this very day. Was Jesus trying to alienate his audience? I think not. He wanted to make a point. The point of both of these stories is that God showed mercy and blessed even the Gentiles as they were obedient to the word of God. What should have been good news for all infuriated the Jews in Jesus' hometown. They so hated the Gentiles that though they at first had marveled at Jesus' gracious words, They now tried to throw him down a hill and stone him. But Jesus escaped, leaving this proverb ringing in their ears. No prophet is acceptable in his hometown. We see in these two conflicts that bracket our gospel the power of the word of God. Power on the one hand to defeat the devil. Power on the other hand to convict the people because of their sin of prejudice. We see the word of God at work in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's back up and take a look for a moment at today's Old Testament lesson from Nehemiah. In the process of rebuilding Jerusalem, Nehemiah uncovered a copy of the law of Moses. So he had a wooden platform built from which Ezra the priest read the law to the people who gathered from early morning until midday. As Ezra read from the book of the law, the Levites explained everything so that the people understood the sense of it. And hearing the word of God, the people repented of their sin, committed in ignorance of the law, bowing their faces to the ground. By the way, we should give Stephen a round of applause for all those Hebrew names he read. (laughs) Would to God that the people today would repent at the hearing of the word of God, would turn from their sin and follow the law. Some, of course, will. Some will not. How about you? How will you respond to the word of God? What we see in Luke's gospel is the word of God and the spirit of God acting in unison. The Holy Spirit came upon Jesus at his baptism. The Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness where he was tempted. And now today's gospel tells us Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. The Holy Spirit was at work in in Jesus' life and ministry. Paul tells the Ephesian church, take up the whole armor of God, including the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. The writer to the letter of the Hebrews refers to the word of God as a living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. And more than once, John writes in the Revelation that from Jesus' mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. It's poetic language to be sure. But we can envision the word coming from the mouth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as a sword with great power, the power of the Holy Spirit, the sword of the Spirit. Jesus, the very word of God, who became flesh and dwelt among us, was filled with the Holy Spirit in baptism, led by the Holy Spirit through temptation and anointed by the Holy Spirit to teach, to heal, and to deliver. The word of God and the Holy Spirit work together. The word of God is the sword of the Spirit, an essential weapon in, in spiritual conflict. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report went out about him, went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. Jesus was obviously had obviously been in Galilee before returning now in the power of the spirit. There were reports about him and his teaching in the surrounding country and he apparently taught in more than one of the synagogues and was well received being glorified by all. Verse 16 reads And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. Nazareth was Jesus' hometown. We learn later that he was known as Joseph's son. It was his custom to worship in the synagogue every Sabbath. A good example for us, by the way. Don't you love it when you hear about some person who is in church every time the doors are open? Synagogue worship would have, been, would have begun with prayer. There would have been a reading from the law, one of the five books of Moses, the Pentateuch. This would have been followed by a reading from the prophets. There was most likely a lectionary of assigned readings, just as we have. Each synagogue had an attendant, but no minister per se. The attendant would assign the text and the reader's often inviting visiting rabbis to read. It is not a surprising thing that Jesus was asked to read. Readers stood to read as a sign of respect for the word of God. As verse 17 tells us, Jesus was given the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. When he finished reading, verse 20 tells us that Jesus rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. That he sat down did not mean that he was finished. Rabbis sat down to teach. He was not finished. He was just beginning. Our text tells us that the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. They were anxious to hear what he had to say. So let's look first at what Jesus read and then at what was understood by it. Verse 17 to 19 read, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Whether the reading was assigned or Jesus chose it, it is clear that he knew what he was going to read and he applied it to himself. Today, he said, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. We have said above that the Spirit and the Word are acting in unison. And here Jesus affirms that. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. The Son of God is functioning under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And what is he anointed to do? Certainly Jesus' main reason for coming down from heaven was to die on a cross, that old rugged cross about which we sang, for the sins of the world. But he was also anointed by the Holy Spirit to preach, to take up the sword of the Spirit. He came to preach good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, liberty to those who are oppressed, and the year of the Lord's favor. We can hear in this list an echo of the Sermon on the Mount. In proclaiming good news to the poor, we should understand that Jesus is preaching the coming of the kingdom to the poor and to the poor in spirit. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What things? What you will eat, what you will drink, what you will put on. Do not be anxious about these things, Jesus said. He calls us to focus on the kingdom of God. He preached good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. By this, Jesus means freedom to those held captive to sin and death and captive to the fear of death. As the writer to the Hebrews says, through his death Jesus would destroy the one who has cu- the power of death that is the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Nothing holds us captive. Nothing makes us sl- a slave like fear but perfect love casts out fear. Jesus came to free the captives. He came to be- Proclaim recovering of sight to the blind. There are none so blind as those who will not see. There are none so blind as those who will not see. That familiar quote sounds biblical, but it's not a quote from scripture. It is, however, consistent with biblical teaching. Listen to Isaiah 6. Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and the ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Clearly Jesus healed those who were physically blind, even a man born blind. But blindness is not just a physical problem. It is a spiritual malady. Jesus opened our spiritual eyes. How did he do that? Perhaps John says it best. No one has ever seen God. The only begotten son of God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And again from the lips of Jesus, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Will we see or will we choose to close our eyes? To set at liberty those who are oppressed. The word translated oppressed literally means shattered, crushed, broken in pieces. We should understand this to mean broken hearted. Again, we hear an echo of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What is it that breaks your heart? For me, it is those who mock my faith in Jesus Christ, who think me a fool for trusting Jesus. For me, it is the rejection of God's love and saving grace offered to all. My heart breaks for the lost, for those who revile and persecute the church. And yet Jesus says, rejoice. They persecuted the prophets. They will persecute you as well. Your reward is great in heaven. Finally, Jesus came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It is the year of jubilee, the year in which all is restored according to the law. It is the year of redemption, the redemption of lands and fields sold, now to be returned to their original owners. The redemption of male and female slaves, especially those enslaved to sin, now to be set free. What is the year of the Lord's favor for you? What is the year of Jubilee for you? What is the year of your redemption? Could it be 2019? For me, it was 1972. The year the word of God incarnate became my Lord. The year the Holy Spirit filled my heart. The year the word of God written became the sword of the Spirit to me. The year of the Lord's favor. If you have been redeemed, you know it. If you do not know it, then open your heart today. Let the word of God become a sharp two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of your heart. Jesus, the word made flesh, has come to us in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Why will you hesitate? Take up the sword of the Spirit. Take hold of the word of God. Let the scripture be fulfilled in you today. Pray with me. Father, take your sword the sword of the Spirit, and penetrate our hearts that we might know you and love you and your Son, Jesus Christ, who is himself the very Word of God. For we ask it in his name. Amen.